Our scripture reading is uh, on page 5. It's from Galatians 5, and uh, it's 1 through 18. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to, declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we, are eager, we eagerly await through the spirit of, the, right, of the, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into your confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit, uh, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not so you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of the Lord. This is, uh, we've been doing a series of questions as a sermon series, and we've been going through some questions of the faith. And this question, what is the gospel? We did what is the gospel last week, part one. This is what is the gospel, part two. As I began to look through the scriptures about what what is the gospel, I realized I had a whole lot of material. And um, uh, I realized what is the gospel is a lot of things. As we look at this text today, we could title this sermon, What is the Gospel? Part 2. The gospel is freedom. The gospel is freedom. This is the best Time of the year to get what you can out of your kids. And you have the consumerization of Christmas to thank for it. My kids at two and three years old know exactly what they want. They come up to me with their little books and magazines. Daddy, this is what I want. Daddy, for Christmas, this is what Clark wants. I mean, Harrison's got Clark's Christmas list all together. And this gets to be a pain. At every turn, Daddy, can I have this? But I have learned to use it. They are so desirous. They are so centered and drawn to getting what they want for Christmas that that I can use their desire to get what I want out of them. You know how this works. It happened to you. If you have kids, you've done it. No Thomas the Train if you don't. 
or no Hot Wheels toys if you don't, or it looks like you don't really want anything for Christmas because you're not, or if you can't behave, then, you know, just kind of dangling the hopeful possibility of not getting what they really want. What has yet to really be theirs, what I am not even sure I can deliver, has become this great manipulative tool. There I say it, maybe some sort of potential okay parental lie for the behavior I need to get out of them. You know, to maybe help me finish doing some work I need to do or, or on the computer or finish a phone conversation or, or get the house clean. Harrison and Clark... They're my slaves. I've taken their, their bondage to stuff. Their childlike belief that, that somehow I can deliver and give all the toys. I have used it as a whip, a, a lasso, a bridle, a, a shackle. And I can chalk it all up to being a good parent. And very few of you will confront me on it. Because you're using it too. I love Christmas. There are some things we all want. All over the world. And especially in church settings, you here today are like this one. We all want righteousness. A sense of rightness. We all want to feel freedom from shame and guilt and failure. We all want acceptance to be known and loved and forgiven. It is humanity's moral Christmas list. And as far as our desire for those things are concerned, it is the day after Thanksgiving and we are going hoping and shopping for redemption. And the gospel... That we are sinners and Jesus is a savior of sinners advertises as being free to humans who can't afford it themselves. Trusting like my boys do me that our big daddy in the sky will see our hearts and wants better than we can what we need and possibly give it to us. But unfortunately, Christianity in its various forms, whether in the church whether in some discipleship group, whether in some campus ministry, whether in some sort of Christian book, has become more like I do Christmas with my boys. Taking our deep-seated desires for righteousness and acceptance and kind of just kind of dangling them over us in order to get behavior change or manipulate us into looking more like church folk or or getting us to be quiet and, and not mess up things with our sin, promising even access to the inner circle of friends and Christianity and church families. And like my boys, in our childlike desire for these strong but unseen needs to be loved and to love, to be accepted and to accept, to be healed, we will be put into bondage, into shackles, into believing lies, into believing that if we do this, our leaders or our church friends can deliver us righteousness when they really can't. It's much like what is going on here in Galatia. The church Paul is writing this letter to It's a matter of, if if I were to modernize it, it's a matter of tattoos and short dresses and what CDs people are listening to and what people are drinking. 
Jewish or the Judaizers, the people who are concerned about righteousness under the law, want to get these Gentile folk under control. They're showing up in church with their tattoos showing. Some of the ladies are wearing dresses a little too short. Folk are bringing 40s to the church picnic. And in a Jewish society, folk are bringing pickled pigs, and chitlins. People are lifting all kind of stuff in the car, banging their heads, showing up at church with the boom box going. And so the people under the law are like, we can't be like this. This is not church. This is not true righteousness. Get rid of those tattoos. Cover them up. Something. Put a shirt over them. Get, make those dresses long. Cover up. Get rid of those CDs. Throw them away. Only drink iced tea. And then you will be righteous. You will be what you always wanted to be. Like us. With us. Accepted by us. If that's the case, you will be more like God's true people, the Jews. You will be right with God. You see, the Gentiles like us, they wanted nothing more than to be righteous. They wanted to be accepted. They wanted to be holy. They wanted to be in. And so they were asked and were willing to subject themselves to what Paul says, circumcision, to following the Jewish law, to be righteous, to for outside change, for behavior change. They, like us, often were in bondage to being righteous before God through behavior change. Not truly free to love. Not truly free to be loved. What is the gospel that Paul is talking about? It's true freedom. Freeing people to love God and others and freeing people to be loved by God and others. And so Paul tells us what is the true sign of the gospel. Paul says this is what counts. Look with me at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That the product of the gospel, the ultimate sign of God really working your life, is love. Now that's strange for some of us to hear. Because it's not acting or behaving righteously. It's actually freedom to love others. You ever seen the bumper sticker, mean people suck? You ever seen that? I mean, do you know Paul basically says the same thing here? Except he wouldn't, he qualifies what it means to be mean people. He says that people who don't know the gospel are mean. That mean people do not know the gospel. With that in mind, I must admit that some of the people you and I have come across and some of the people that you and I have been, Christians, church people, can be the meanest, surliest, angriest looking and acting people in the world. They're like the church lady on Saturday Night Live. They're just mean and grumpy and I love the Lord, brother. And it just, it just, oh, Jesus, is, is this what you wanted? To create the meanest, grumpiest, uptightest people in the world? Is this what righteousness looks like? Paul says, no, righteousness looks like freedom to love. Looks like grace. 
The only way it seems you can get church people in many situations to love or like you is if you are mean and miserable with them. Yes, I think miserable might be a better word here. You see, when Jesus alone stops alone being the righteousness for uh, before God to for I mean excuse me if Jesus stops being righteous enough for God to accept you it is then you have to kind of hold up your own stuff you have to hold up your own righteousness and that makes people mean and miserable it, it reminds me of growing up every one of you who have been in school have experienced science project day and picture day. (sighs) On science project day and picture day, no one is your friend, especially the dirty kids, especially the unruly kids who want to touch everything and play ball. And and you have this volcano and you kind of have this cardboard. I remember I had this cardboard thing like this long with this uh, replica of an ancient civilization city. And I'm trying to carry this oversized cardboard thing on the bus and, and the first thing I'm thinking is don't you get near me. You over there, wild boy, you sit in the back. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in the front seat. I'm, I'm carrying this very fragile thing. Or maybe it's picture day. And you know what it's like? Oh, I love that cartoon recess. They do it the best. It's picture day. And it's like there's a war going on. And their goal is to stay away from the dirty kids. And so they're trying to get across the the schoolyard and people are throwing, you know, once the kids get their pictures taken, they start throwing their good clothes off and getting in the mud. And other kids are like, no, we can't get near those bad kids. We've got to take a picture. Why are you so self-protective and mean on picture day and on uh, science project day? Because your whole goal is being judged by what you have done by the teacher. It's grades, or it's to look good in the picture, because you can hear your mom and dad say, don't get dirty, you've got to take a picture today. If our faith is about looking good or clean or righteous or getting a good grade according to the law of God on some sort of cardboard, shaky, imperfect, breakable moralism, then you will be mean and miserable. Imagine every day of your life being like picture day. Imagine every day of your life being like science project day where you're carrying around your faith, your righteousness, like a giant cardboard thing that can fall apart as soon as somebody unruly or you make some kind of mistake. Every day being like riding a bus with unruly and dirty people. You know what happened? You will not be able to love the dirty or rambunctious or those that don't behave with respect to your own little moral experiment. You see, the gospel is based upon the work of Christ for you. It's not about a grade. It's not about a look. It's about what can't be dirtied or soiled or fall off a cardboard box. It is his work in calling you to be God's child. And church, this place, you're in trouble. Especially the church that believes the gospel. You are in big trouble. Science project and picture 
picture gay people? Because the church calls the dirty and the rambunctious and the immoral and those who like to kick the ball in the china shop to ride the school bus together. See, church is like putting our lives, sometimes fragile lives, in harm's way so that Jesus, what Jesus has done, becomes the only indispensable and powerful thing. Well, this thing is about his love. Something that you can truly and really ride through life with. What else is the gospel then? It's the freedom to be loved. I remember when I was in, I guess, sixth grade. Boy, middle school, we had some terrible memories, man. It's a rough time back in middle school. Got suspended twice in school for talking. Can y'all believe it? Um, the, um, I was in the Boy Scouts. And uh, we had the, mat, the, the, the box car races where you get the little wooden car and you shape it up, and you paint it, and then they have this big, long racing track, and, and the, you know, you put the thing on a, and you race each other like seven tracks. Man, I did my own, you know. Daddy was like, go, the tools are out in the garage. I was shaping my own, painting my own. I was feeling good about my car till I got to the Boy Scouts thing. Man, I looked around the room. And, and I'm going to throw a cultural uh, distinction here because with the experience in Galatia is definitely a cultural distinction. Here's some Gentiles, here's some Jews. So I walked in the room and, and, and you just get, I was the only black kid in a room of white guys whose daddies were scouts before them or in my neighborhood, many of those men, their daddies were military men, the real Boy Scouts, and men, their cars were ladled out perfectly. I felt like a fool. I mean, just put it this way. They, they, they were well painted and honed and mine was, well, like others gave the names of their cars, the Silver Bullet or the Red Rush or, 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 or the Blue Streak. I aptly named mine the Junkyard Racer. I mean, it was multicolored. I couldn't decide what color I wanted, so I decided to go with a little collage, you know. It was the wheels didn't work right. You know, they had their little weights glued and magnets and all kind of stuff. Man, I just put some tape on the bad boy, you know, just to make the weight. And I didn't want to be a scout that day. I didn't want to be with those guys. I didn't want to be in relationship with them. I didn't want to be in that organization, man, where all the cars were perfect and I'm the junkyard racer. I sure didn't want to be in the race. Man, you should see the way my car creaked down that thing. I mean, the blue racing is so, show my. Just kind of. I was not free to be loved because of how bad the product of my project was. See, the Apostle Paul must have known what it was like to be the kid at the Cub Scout thing with the stupid-looking racer. Or maybe he had a friend that, like me who looked around the room and realized, hey, we're not ethnically Jews. Look at what's going on. Look at what we're going on. And look what he says here. Man, it must have been about the Boy Scout racing because he says here in verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? 
and kept you from obeying the truth. The kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. The Galatians looked at the orthodox appearance of the Jews' faith. They looked at the pedigree. You know, somebody was up there going, you know, man, my daddy was this, and my father was this, and Moses was his daddy. Brother can't beat that. And somebody said, no, but Abraham was my daddy. Woo! You know, and I'm sure they were looking around the room, and you can't help but look around and say, man, that is right, and we are wrong, and there's no way I'm going to put the real me in the race. They wanted to drop out or they wanted to kill themselves, circumcise themselves to be like everyone else. But they would never really be free to be loved that way. You will never, it's like you will say, you will never love the real me or really be able to love me if you don't see my junkyard racer in the race. If you don't see my life in the race of grace, trusting in Christ alone, not ever winning. Not ever being perfect, not ever being the prettiest, but I know that I am free to be loved when I am free to have you see and respond, not to what would make you happy to know me, but to love what you truly know about me and my Savior. Holidays used to be tough. It's kind of changed in my family. Because I think, man, oh, this is being recorded. I gotta say it anyway. So it used to be harder in my family because, and and now that people have gotten older, you know, they got a little wiser, not doing it anymore. But man, you would go to to Granny's house for Thanksgiving, and you'd make sure you're right. Make sure face bumpy. Oh no. Um, Hey, have I gained any weight from last year? You know, and you show up because you know you got a couple of aunts and uncles and cousins who are going to be like, hmm, look like y'all been eating good last year. Man, I remember I came, I got a brand new blue jacket. It was kind of heavy, but I wanted to wear it the whole time because I wanted people to see my nice new Christmas jacket. And one of my aunts was like, I know you hot. I know you're just trying to show off because you got your new jacket, but I see the sweat. You're really hot, boy. Holidays make you have to have tough skin. You know the fear of looking fat, of having a bumpy face or whatever. Maybe you don't have the same job. Man, I, at Christmas you'd be rolling up in your car and you'd be seeing the new cars. Oh boy. Woo! Somebody got a new Mercedes. I'm going to have to hear about that. And you... Or some of you, it's the cooking, right? You bring your dish every year and it ain't nearly as good as aunt so-and-so's or cousin so-and-so's. It's like, and they put your plate on the back row, you know. If the standards are anything but the gospel, righteous by Christ alone, then no one is free to be loved. Because we will all love the behavior or adjusted behavior or we'll live a lie. They are living and not, we won't love the person, we'll love the lie they are living. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is showing up in a family gathering and being hungry and fat in a room of fat and hungry people who have found what would fill them and nourish them. 
The gospel is being ugly and wanting to be seen in a room of ugly people who have been seen and love whoever they see. See, the gospel is having bad breath. And like me, liking to talk a lot in a room full of bad breath people who love to listen. Why? Because this is true. We are sinners. We have bad breath. We're fat and hungry. We're ugly. And Jesus is a savior and lover of sinners. That truth is the real and true access to Jesus and his church. How? Because according to the gospel, Jesus alone is the food for fat and hungry people. Jesus alone is the beautician, Paul is saying. He says, you've fallen for grace. You forgot the one who brought you this far. He is your beautician. Why are you letting other people tell you? Jesus alone is a spearmint. Jesus alone is our possibility of righteousness and true and real love and acceptance. What is the gospel? It is the freedom to be known and seen and addressed by fellow sinners around you with the freedom of Jesus being the person who is powerful enough to be the difference. What is the gospel? It is the freedom to be in love with God. Now, what we see here when Paul says, you know, if you get circumcised, you're going to mess up. And if you're pushing circumcision, why don't you just go ahead and cut the whole thing off? That's what a master is. Just go ahead and take it all off. If You know, and it's kind of hard. It's kind of a hard edge. And, and we see Paul's anger is with those who demanded more than Jesus in being and becoming righteous. Why? Because they will no longer be free to enjoy and love God. Paul is saying God, too, will become a judge. He'll become a mean teacher, someone who needs to be won over. or And we will spend our lives trying to prove ourselves worthy enough to be called his children or good enough to actually pray to him or call him our father. We will be in bondage to trying to be and not experience the freedom of becoming all he wants by just being how and who. Jesus alone can call and make us by his spirit. There was a time in my life I didn't think white people got spankings. Oh, yeah. I thought, man, see, because, you know, my life, all I saw my cousins is the black people are the only ones who get spankings. I go to my white friend's house, everything looks so, you know, it's a middle class, suburban neighborhood. You just like, leave it to Beaver. I never see Ward come and cut Beaver's behind. I never see You know what I'm saying? He comes with Mr. Rogers. He takes the sport going up. He puts the sweater. I mean, come on. When is the day going to come when Ward walks in and June says, they acted up in school, and with one swipe, like my daddy used to with the belt, whoom. Let's go, Beaver. <laughs> Wally, you two, come on. But I'm just saying, I used to think white people didn't get spanked until one day. My two blue-eyed, blonde-haired friends, they're my friends. John and Eric, we had a clubhouse, and 
we had little dudes. We had a you know, our panties, y'all. Must have been 50 cents worth of panties. It just looked like a lot. We were kids. And so the girl whose house house was near the woods where our fort was, she decided to go in and take the 50 cent pennies, 50 cent worth of pennies just to play. So John and Eric, oh boy, Mr. and Mr. Righteous, went up to her mom and said, your daughter took money from us. We demand that you give it back now. And she did. Okay, boys. Little did they know, you can't outrun phone call. You just, you just can't outrun it. So that lady called their mama. And so when they got home, I was walking in their house with them. Nice suburban home. Hallway probably about this big. You know, it looked bigger back then. But it got real small quick. It, it was like this big. And I walk in with them. Howard, this is Howard. Could you just wait out on the porch for a minute? And I saw her. And I'm kind of looking in the window, you know, wondering what's going on. I'm expecting to see what I see on Leave with the Beaver. She's going to sit down and talk to them. Man, I saw two blonde-headed ping-pongs in that small hall. Ball. I mean, she was pop, pop. I mean, they were trying to duck. She was coming with the uppercut. I mean, she, I mean, they were getting whipped. I mean, hair was all over the place. I've never seen faces. You know, I, I've seen some red faces, but them faces were red, boy. I mean, Miss Waller wouldn't catch, but pow, 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 pow. And they came out. I'm like, what happened, guys? <laughs> I acted like I didn't see. I'm like, what happened, guys? My mama said, we got to give the money back. Like them, why is Paul so hard here? Like them, we've forgotten our place. We've demanded acceptance and response of God based on the thought that we can do or be good enough. Like we can go before God and his law and plead our moral case to be good enough to make things right that sin has taken. And God says trying to live by the law will get you and others hurt and beat up. And Paul with the same parental concerns beats the ears and hearts proclaiming the gospel that says you aren't free to be righteous before God on your own. Your life and its betterment, its salvation is a grown-up discussion between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what he says. We wait patiently for it. He says we wait patiently for Jesus to do his work. We don't stand up and say, Jesus, the law, I've done it. I'm righteous enough. Let me in. That will get you beat up. He said, look to Jesus. Paul is saying, he's already taken the beating of sin or guilt. Let him get the money or the sin back for you. Let him be good enough to plead and to trust to deal with your cases of sin. Most of us in here have gotten into God's grown folk business. And we're getting beat up. We're condemned trying to do better. Trying to do better. As if we can do it, and, and, and as if our actions can stand as acceptable before Jesus, before God without Jesus, and we get beat up when we can't keep up. Or we're accused or belittled by someone else who's more righteous, who does more and better. When we fail, and we will, when we're carrying heavy guilt, trying to do enough to get rid of the guilt of all the bad things we've done, it's like being in the hallway with a mean slapping hard truth 
your righteous acts are not good enough to free you from the sorrow and guilt and allow you to love God or be loved by Him. Here's a mistake my friends made that day. The goal was just to be children, to just enjoy playtime, to live in the freedom of having a middle-class, well-to-do parents where you can have forts and 50 cents worth of coins, to be free to grow up and learn lessons and change and enjoy all because and in what is given to you, not what you can demand. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is one of our documents of faith in the Presbyterian Church in America, was written in 1648. It's a statement of what is believed to be true from Scripture. And it's one way they encourage people to know what they believe. They would ask them questions. And the first question is this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is this, to love God and enjoy Him forever. To love God and enjoy Him forever. Did you know that's what the gospel was about? The freedom given by Jesus to actually enjoy and love God and be loved and enjoyed by Him? When I was in sixth grade, I had a crush on my best friend's cousin, Pam. 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 She didn't look as good as Kelly. Pam was intelligent, good-looking, fun to be around, and therefore the most attractive 25-year-old a 13-year-old could have ever dreamed to have a relationship with. And I would ask my best friend Hilliard sometimes, I'd be like, Hilliard, man, hook me up. Come on, man, what's the chances? What do I have to do? And Hilliard, he would just laugh. Like, what does Pam like to do, man? I got some money. Let's see I can get a date. Pam's a woman, Howard. I'm like, so? What's up, man? I'm in middle school. I got my stuff together. Come on. He would say, yeah. Uh, I'm like, she ever date? Yeah. What is her boyfriend? Well, they just went to D.C. for the weekend for the Howard University game. Where are you going? You know, and I would have, and I just would get mad at him. Because I realized there was no chance. She's too old. She's too good. And I got mad at him because it wasn't fair that she was his cousin and he got to always be around her. But anyway, I used to dream about her, you know, riding on the back with me on my banana seat bicycle. Dreams, you know, seeing us going to movies together with the rest of the boys. What's up? Going to little middle school parties. She driving. It's okay. She drove. I can ride. No problem. Something in our hearts. Hearts that many have thought about a relationship with a holy and righteous, attractive God who's so perfect and so loving and so awesome and a lot older than we are and probably likes things and does things and goes places we can't and something inside rightly says, like my friend Hilliard, it kind of laughs and says, not a chance. Because you can't do it. God's too old. He... He goes places you can't. I mean, he's in space. You, you can't go down. He's in the depth. You, you can't. There's places you too young. You, you, uh, I love this. In this rap, it says, you need to wait till your money grow up. You, you got to wait till your morality can't hang with God. And, and, and so it's, it's, it's not based on what you can do. It's who you are. You are morally and spiritually not even 13. And God is 
you get the point. And like me with Pam, we not only dream of the possibility of making God accept us like a boyfriend, a girlfriend, like the Jews did with getting circumcised and following the law, that he should love and respect. But we do things to him that are as silly as if I were to ask Pam out on a date and she would have taken me seriously. But in Galatia, people are telling others, get circumcised, do this ceremony, read this book, memorize this law, talk like this, walk like this, and then you have a chance with God. Then you are really in with God. And Paul says, they are playing a game with you. They've messed up. Whoever's doing this will be disciplined harshly. This is wrong. It's foolish assumptions, y'all of getting in good or better with God. Like, if we wear certain clothing, if we read enough Christian books, if we have enough discipline and order life and do our quiet times perfectly, if we only listen to Christian music, or if we tell enough people about Jesus, if we get enough kills, if you will, if we can get enough people to accept him, or a number of behavior changes, and unfortunately, some of you have gotten it from your parents. Some of you have gotten it from various Christian groups in college. Performance treadmill, same thing as circumcision. Do this, cut this out to life, do this better, follow this, and man, you'll be the man. And we're in bondage. You've forgotten that it's not about your behavior performance. Yes, God says, if you love me, you will obey me. But it's about God-given freedom to be in love with God because of the work of Jesus. Everything else is a foolish attempt at getting better or being good enough. Then why try? Why not go ahead and sin? Paul says this, do not use your freedom to indulge in sin. Why not? Because the gospel frees you to love God because God has loved you. Close with this one. It was Thanksgiving day at my son's school, which is the last day before the break. And um, they dress him up like, you know, Native Americans and pilgrims. Um, and... Uh, he brought the Thanksgiving book home, right? And so on the front is this picture of him with a smile just like his father's. This fake smile. You know, the, the, the cheese for the picture. I'm not really happy, but you're asking him to smile. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so in the inside it says, what do you like to do at Thanksgiving? And it said this. I like to rake the leaves with my daddy. I'm like, what? And I'm looking at this picture. And it just looked like a circle with two two lines. And there were some leaves, and it, I didn't know what that was. All I could go on is what the teacher said. In the, I like to rake leaves with my daddy. Okay. And I just remembered thinking how much that pleased me. That what my son liked to do was rake leaves with me. He loved Thanksgiving because he liked being with me. And I'm going to tell you, y'all, Harrison's helped me rake the leaves. And I do all the work. And sometimes I got to do more work. Harrison, stop. He picks up the... the pe- All right, Daddy, here we go. And it just... Whoa, strings of leaves. He doesn't really help. But in trying, 
in me allowing him. He is with me and enjoys me and talks to me. And he actually learns how to rake. He learns how to love his son. He learns how to let others know in sketchy and not perfect terms what it means to rake leaves with his father. And in that, I I see the picture and I hear him talk about it and have him want to be with me and like me. And when I see that, it makes me melt. It's love to me. When Paul says, walk in the Spirit, trust in Christ, our call to grow up as Christians to be more like God is nothing less than being given the privilege through Jesus to rake leaves with a God who does all the work. To walk in the Spirit, in our praying, in our imperfect works, saying no to sinful things, asking for forgiveness, reading books, yes, that talk about Jesus, Jesus are expressions, like my son's book, sketchy and imperfect expressions and experiences of love, of being invited and being with the one who calls you his. The gospel is freedom. To be with a God who allows you to rake leaves with them, to mess up some. To grow up in the, in the safety of that. What then is the gospel? Freedom to be God's children. Freedom to enjoy him. Freedom to know forgiveness. Freedom to do well. Freedom to love others. Free to be loved by Jesus. The gospel is freedom. The gospel is freedom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that what Jesus did is not foolish. That by his blood you accept us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be freed by the gospel. Lord, help us not to be in bondage to our works. When we go home and be with family members, Oh, how hard it can be with some. Lord, we pray that you would draw us back in to enjoy our times with you, to just rake leaves with you, to just mess up a little bit and and, and enjoy your presence and learn from you. Let us run to Christ. Keep us from falling from grace and looking to works. We want to be free. Free us, Jesus. This we pray in his name. Amen.